0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenman and Moon Show podcast, and what a podcast we have in store for you today. We had the Athletics Chris Woff uh, a couple of weeks ago, like you would have seen on the podcast, and today we have his partner in crime, it is George Corkin. Now he doesn't do many interviews with other podcasts, as he has his own, Pod in the Time, which is brilliant, I have, to, I have to say that. It's nearly as good as ours, Sam. Mm.
1: A, a healthy uh,
0: second place definitely definitely um but this is a podcast that you have to listen to with intent i would say because i I don't think we've ever done a podcast like this
1: no um spoiler alert i i was going to kind of take charge of this podcast intro and talk about because johnny's moving house and I wanted to talk about um, economy ratings for fridge freezers. I wanted to talk about corner sofas. I wanted to talk about Sky packages. But it doesn't really fit the tone because this one was probably my favorite one. No disrespect to any of the amazing guests we've had on previously. But this this was, um, yeah, this. I think this one's very, very special. Um, George is um, the most respected Newcastle United journalist out there, I think. Um, well, he is. I think we we would no, he's certainly we would, up there certainly up there. I think we would all agree when uh, Henry Winter says you're the man then uh, you're the man. So um yeah um I've been chasing him or trying to find a contact for him for a year. So to get him on finally and um not fuck it up was um a huge relief. And as well I mean, I marked this podcast as explicit, just in case there was any Fs and Jeffs. And we've done 28 episodes and none really have got much swearing in. So I, it's a relief that I have to tell you that just beware, there are a few, there, there's some effing and Jeffing in this one, thank flip, finally. So uh, yeah, I, this is one of my, fav- if not my favourite, it is definitely one of the favourites so far. So you're in for a real treat.
0: Certainly right, we talk, of course, Newcastle. We always do. And we're even though it's tough times at the best of times, um, we enjoy talking about Newcastle. And George loves talking, that even says that as a spoiler. If he loves talking about what he is what his occupation is, and that is talking about Northeast sport. He does talk about Newcastle, but he doesn't feel any hatred towards Sunderland and Middlesbrough. He actually talks about Middlesbrough when they were in Europe and how he had to juggle Newcastle and Middlesbrough and England had to give up one. I'll let you listen to see who he who he gives up. I'm sure you can probably guess. Um, but we talk about Steve Bruce. We talk about potential transfers coming in. Um, we talk about Saboy Robson and we talk about Alan Shearer. And I'll be honest with you, Sam, I think I got a little bit emotional and George yeah. did as well. Um, you'll have to listen... For the reasons why, but for anybody that maybe wants a little bit of a spoiler, Sam, or maybe wants to find out something a little bit earlier. Um, well, what a there, moment, because, what a moment, yeah, about a yeah. certain individual,
1: yeah. I mean, George gave everything, um, George gave us everything, and we're eternally grateful for sharing the stuff he did. Um, yeah, absolutely, um yeah really emotional really um touching so uh yeah i mean the thing is when george speaks, you you absolutely listen and um i mean I, I can't kind of big it up big it up enough it's um i I'm really proud of this one
0: well i hope everybody that listens to the screaming I'm on the show podcast enjoys it just as much as sam and i have done this evening. A big, quick thanks to our sponsor, BF52. Remember, if you want eight cans of any beer, IPA or stout or ale, whatever you fancy, BF52.com forward slash NFTV is the place to get eight cans of 595, which is just the price of packaging. But Sam, you're saying this is either your favourite or very close to your favourite. Is there a particular moment or do do you not want to spoil it?
1: No, and, and, to be honest, like, because I'm, for those that don't know, like Johnny kind of writes the kind of loose question script that we have and I produce all the stuff. So when you're watching it on YouTube and everything, like the pictures and the um the pictures you see and the, the banners and whatnot, I control all that. And, like, this is the first time where I've just completely forgotten to, like, fill in a picture because I was just listening so intently I just got lost in it completely so that that should tell you all you need to know about um how kind of good it is
0: (laughs) well I think without further ado I think we should let the people listen to one of our highlights in terms of podcasts so far so it is a pleasure to announce that the Greenwood and Mulliner show's next podcast is with the Athletics George Corkin Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Mullins show here on Newcastle Fans TV, alongside my host, uh, co-host Sam Mullins and myself, Jonathan Greenwood. Today we have northeast journalistic royalty, in my personal opinion, uh, with the Athletics George Corkin. George, welcome to the Greenwood and Mullins show here on Newcastle Fans TV.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. What a build-up.
0: I know. Definitely. You may cur-
2: You may curtsy at your at your at your own discretion.
0: <laughs> Well, Sam, we obviously we had Chris on last week and Chris and George are like, I don't know, is it the Northeast Anton Deck in terms of the journalism with uh, Well no, because Anton Deck and Deck Dec
2: would be the Northeast Anton Deck, yeah.
0: So
2: that's the whole <laughs> point of Anton Deck.
0: <laughs> I'll have to try and rephrase it then. <laughs> but they are very much um when it comes to anything in Newcastle United, Sam, they're the, the main two people in my particular opinion that you, you go to to... Get the best analysis, probably in terms
1: absolutely of Newcastle. On. I mean, I recall um, when I was lucky enough to interview Henry Winter during um, lockdown one, the original lockdown before the uh, <laughs> the two sequels that we had. Um, Henry increasingly,
2: said, increase, increasingly shit sequels. Let's be honest,
1: they <laughs> are absolutely. And then in twenty years' time, and no doubt we'll have a revival one, a revival lockdown, just to like you yeah. know, get the boys back together. Absolutely. But um, Henry said that. Um, George, you're the man he comes to whenever he needs to know anything about um Newcastle United. So uh what a praise, praise indeed from uh, your former colleague Mr. Winter.
2: Well that's very kind, thank you. I'm not sure what it is you actually want, but you've you've got it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um George, where did the passion for journalism and Newcastle come from? Did it and did you always think that the two passions in your life would combine? <laughs>
2: passion for newcastle let me see if i can remember that um (laughs) it's tricky no it's it no i mean that's that's unfair um yes no uh yes no that's a good that's a good answer i'm trying to think back no i i mean the writing is in my family journalism's in, in my family my dad's a journalist um he he's kind of a business journalist and my aunt uh, his sister is is a writer as well, so I've always been interested in writing. I've always enjoyed enjoyed writing. I mean, really, I haven't agreed. I haven't um, decided what I want to do when I grow up yet. Which, considering I'm fifty, is. Um, but I think I think um, I think I always, um, you know, I love that process. I love the I love the idea of meeting people and getting to know them and expressing what you feel on paper. As it was then, I think what Newcastle did was sort of provide me with that um, feeling that you could have poetry, you know, that was poetry. I I often say this, and it sounds very romantic and it sounds sort of um, kind of whimsical, but it was watching Gaza play for Newcastle that sort of showed me this violent, poetic artistry that he had and made me sort of want, made me proud of where I was from and made me want to sort of express myself. And when I came back from... Uni, I went to Hull uh, University and I was there for three years. Did history and politics. I had no idea really what I wanted to do. But I came back in 92, which of course was when Keegan was back as manager. That extraordinary, it was brilliant timing because, you know, I got a season ticket or I got a part part season ticket halfway through that season. That brilliant season. It's always, that'll always be my sort of touchstone season. That and the next and the first year in the Premier League. and i started writing for the mag i did stuff um you know started writing for them and loved it and then uh sort of had a year of doing nothing but then did a journalism course and still kept on doing stuff for mag my- anyway then joined the sunday sun the local sunday paper up here and that's how it sort of took off it wasn't ever a plan i never i wasn't specifically training to be a football journalist or a sports journalist i applied for Work experience and that was that really, but um, but I love it. You know, I love it. it. It's it sort of it provides me with a platform to write about the people I care about, the place I care about, um, and you can throw rotten veg at me if you want or boo. But I feel the same about Sunderland and Middlesbrough. I don't have the same umbilical connection, but I do have the same connection to the northeast, and I'm very proud of where I'm from, and I see it as my. You know partially my job to sort of not only reflect what I see but also to reflect what I hear and you know and to reflect what what fans are thinking hopefully
1: I mean do you still get the same buzz as you did back in ninety two and obviously the good old days, the entertainers and so Bobby, as you do now with times increasingly shit as they are? no, I mean
2: because I was just a fan then, so um so I was you know i was I was. I was on the Gallagher end and I'm going to get there 90 minutes before kickoff and, you know, then going straight to the pub afterwards and talking about what I'd seen with my, with my mate, And, and so you, you I mean, you know, I would have the same, I would have the same sort of responses as, as everybody else. I was there, I was shouting, I was screaming abuse at opposition players and the referee and I was cheering my team. And of course you can't do that in the press box. And, um, you know nor should you and so the the relationship becomes a bit more clinical well it becomes completely clinical really because you have to take you have to take a step away i think what i've loved about being at the athletic is it's and this isn't i'm not just saying this for a plug it's something i genuinely feel is that there have been a couple of times and i've that i've gone back to the away end and written about the away end and all i've done is you know basically reported verbatim what I've seen and heard. And there's a, you know, this coming weekend, Newcastle play Everton. I was at Goodison. It was just such a happy coincidence that I was at Goodison last year, um, this time last year for the two Florian Lejeune goals, 94th minute. And it was just, I chose that game at random and it was just brilliant. And I loved it so much. And so the fact we do our own podcast now, I think I'm able you know we're able I think we've probably blurred the lines a bit between being reporters and being fans or as Chris said I think he said to you didn't he funny we're a bit more fanny. we're, we're funny we're a bit funny funny
1: podcast yeah we're a fanny
2: podcast and so and I love that and I hope that I think I'm probably old enough and um you know not to sort of be too worried anymore about what people think of me I mean you know I'm sure a lot of Sunderland fans I've never sort of really hidden what my background is, I hope that if, if and when I write about Sunderland and Middlesbrough and other clubs, I'm I'm fair and I, I sort of do it from their perspective you know, as much as I can. But I think I'm old enough to sort of admit that I grew up watching Newcastle, um, and you know that I feel the club. It's not the same. I think probably it makes me treat them more harshly in in because I care. You know, I care, so you, I expect better, and I want expect. I don't expect better. I want better, and. I expect better in terms of behaviour from the club itself, and so and you know the ownership and the way the clubs run. I definitely expect better, and so I think I'm 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 less happy but more angry.
0: I think that's probably what a lot of fans are thinking, George. they I was looking saying that they're more angry with the current regime. Now you say that you're obviously being a journalist, you can't have a season ticket, you can't you know go to as many games as you like because you have a job to do, responsibility but if you were just a fan and you didn't have the title of George Corbin works the athletic, would you still go to games regularly?
2: It's it's a question that I've asked. I mean, in terms of Newcastle, it's a good question. And I think probably two or three years ago, I think I probably said on Twitter, I'll be struggling to go and watch this version of Newcastle now. I would Because I think, and uh, I've watched Chris. I mean, Chris is our day-to-day Newcastle man. So he sort of has to go to games and I've watched all of them. Um, it's so difficult to buy into this newcastle isn't it isn't that the sort of phrase i think that because i mean i'm old enough to have seen so much shit football i don't i don't object to shit football um per se and i don't object to losing per se i mean i don't want to lose and i and i don't like it but i don't mind it as long as it's losing with a bit of fight and a bit of heart and knowing that everyone's giving everything and knowing everyone at the club's pulling in the same direction and things like that. I can take that all day long. Well, there's a nice picture to, to, um, <laughs> to, to illustrate my words. Um, but it's so difficult at the, at the, at the version of the club that we've got at the minute to, to sort of buy into the club, um, you know, you can love it, but not like it. And so perhaps, I don't know, I think I probably would because it's, it's, But I I, I do have sympathy and empathy with 10,000 people who walked away last season. We have to figure, I mean, it never gets talked about this, or it very rarely does, that 10,000 people walked away from the club. And, you know, the club ended up giving away 10,000 part season tickets. I mean, that's an enormous number. And you do, I mean, I do on the, I haven't done it this season for kind of pretty obvious reasons, but on the, on the, on the, the times when I would have a weekend off, In the past, I would go to a non-league game, and you get much more sense of belonging in that environment now than you do at Newcastle, because the the impression you get from Newcastle, rightly or wrongly, is that they don't care about you. So why should you care about them? And I think that's that's the toughest thing to take.
0: It's the way the song goes, Sam, isn't it? Like I'm not going to repeat the actual song, but you know, we don't care about them essentially, but we care about Newcastle. (laughs)
1: The thing, the thing is, like the first relegation in the Mike Ashley era, I was angry. The second one, I was just even more angry. But now I'm, I'm I'm past, I'm past anger. Well, I I was all right. The first relegation, I was, I was upset. I was crying about Scunthorpe away. But um, yeah, this the second time, I was just angry because obviously they left it too late getting rid of McLaren. But this time, if it were to happen. I'm past anger. I'm just tired, emotionally drained, and just ugh, it's just you can. See, we, we've been talking about this for months, and we everyone's yeah. seen it coming. Everyone's seen it coming from a mile away, except the powers that be. It's just such. A, it seems just such a cold club now. Like you, you see, Warren Barton, um, Rob Lee, Alan Shearer, three legends who all should be involved in some capacity with the club. Oh yeah, that that just. Couldn't be further away, and just we've had Warren on the channel a couple of times. I mean, he tried to get in touch with Dennis Wise when (laughs) in the yeah in them days, but Dennis Wise didn't want to know. Just shooed him away without thought. It's just so hollow. It's things.
2: It's things like that which should be so easy for a club to do. And one of the, and Chris and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago about that, you know, the, just the idea of communication and communication means lots of things. I mean, we've particularly been thinking about Steve Bruce and, communication recently because it's been so tortured and because you know last week written journalists were sort of banned from his ask, asking questions at his press conference so on and so forth but you know the club is is, is silent full stop N- nobody says anything apart from the manager so it hangs the manager out to dry that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and now we're at the point and it's horrible i understand why it happens and i'm not having a, this isn't having a go at fans but every single press conference something a word or a phrase will get picked up upon because there is nothing else for people to latch onto or to think about. Nobody else is taking responsibility at the club, and so whatever you think about Steve Bruce, uh, you know, as a manager, he's been hung out to dry just like Pardew was, just like McLaren was, just like Carver was, and I mean, just like Benitez was. It's just that he was, he had, he, I mean it's sort of ironic isn't it? but people people trusted him and people believed in him and so but he he was the only oh what a lovely picture what because a dream
1: to him that is there's
2: love there's love love in the eyes there not in Rafa's <laughs> eyes obviously but but in mine uh, thankfully my arms aren't up because my armpits were very um were very sweaty um but um uh but you don't know no, that feeling of you know just that feeling of anger I mean yeah the first one, oh my god! I mean, the you know that batshit season when they just got everything wrong was horrible and toxic, and oh my god! And then the second one was just was pretty gruelling, and yeah, that sense that they just didn't didn't see it coming until it was too late. And I think this, I mean, I'm interested in in, in those in those words you used to, to sort of describe how you feel because I feel the same. I mean, I feel tired about everything at the minute. It's part of the life that we're living at the moment, isn't it? That you. Have that sense that every day is the same. I'm not trying to make everyone feel depressed, but you know, it's that. And Newcastle aren't enlivening that at all. They're not making our lives better. It's supposed I mean, to be a release, something. To yeah, I'm, forward to. I'm pleased. I think. I think the alternative, and I think the alternative of them not not being there at all, would be kind of worse. And I'm very grateful to kind of football for existing uh, at the moment. But yeah, no, and Newcastle have had the opposite effect to morale boosting, and um, and you know another part of it i suppose is that we we last season for example i talked about everton that was such a brilliant moment but it was all it was was a moment it was absolutely irrelevant it didn't matter a single jot to newcastle it didn't matter a single jot to everton really but for 90 minutes or three minutes sorry for three minutes for 90 seconds whatever it was the most important thing in the world and it was brilliant you know it was absolutely brilliant those moments have been gone have gone for us. I mean, we haven't had that many of them this season. But even when they have happened, because we're not there, because there's another game three days later that will be on television, it's forgotten. And so there's no sort of joy um, in the way they're playing. And those moments have been completely lost. So, yeah, no, it's a very cold experience. So you should just interrupt if I'm waffling because I, I will just waffle.
0: No, don't worry. Honestly, it's great to have you on, George, because, again, I know, it's it's nice to have a, a conversation
1: about. with an adult as opposed to a three-year-old. To be honest, I've got. <laughs> <all> the, <time. laughs>
0: but the one thing I will ask you about George is the fact that I don't think at the very beginning might actually have to do a great deal to really get the Newcastle fans on board. There's fifty thousand going in last season before COVID. There's fifty thousand going in in two thousand seven. Newcastle fans just want a little bit of hope, and this is what I said to Chris last week: was that is there a bit of hope on the way for Newcastle because? It's, like you say, it's draining. It's really draining watching Newcastle a minute. And we've got Everton in a couple of days' time. I don't think many people are really looking forward to that Everton game. But is there anything for Newcastle fans, from your point of view, to look forward to at the minute?
2: I mean, do you mean, are you talking bigger picture? Are you talking sort of takeover and stuff like that? Or? Well, picture. I mean, I think I think, um, I think, think the important thing to say this time, and this isn't a blindingly new observation, but I think plenty of times in the past, over the past 11 12 years 13 years um there's no nobody is doubting anymore that Mike Ashley wants out and that he's a he's not just a willing seller seller he's a desperate seller um, so that's the thing that I cling on to um, because I, I tend to think that you know I hesitate to even I mean I, I Chris and I have to write about this to sort of to um, coincide with the one year anniversary it's a completely arbitrary anniversary really but it was the moment that the wall street journal broke the story about about kind of saudi involvement and actually it's not arbitrary in the sense that that was when it all kicked off publicly and really that was a bad moment because if that hadn't happened i think it would have had a lot less you know it would have there would have been a lot less sort of public debate about it um but anyway i mean that's kind of ancient history um you know the, the the good news whatever happens with this version of the takeover that i think i think that's now i do think it's a matter of time having said that we're we're not in an era and and when i spoke to people around the bid that um in the last in the last kind of few days their sense was that because the saudis have come forward because um you know they've seen the club's potential, if you like, that other serious bidders would take notice of that. Now they won't get involved whilst there's a chance of, of this one going through because the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia blows everybody else out of the water. But that if it doesn't happen, um, you know, that others, others will be there. I mean, that's leading us into the world of the unknown because you just don't know, you know, who they might be or the provenance of their funds or whatever, but I do think that's not. I don't think it's as sort of distant a prospect um, as it's felt in the past. I mean, even three years ago, Stavely, when Stavely, um, you know, was accused of being a time waster and all that kind of stuff, she she wondered um, then whether Ashley was a serious seller, and nobody doubts that now. So that's the that's the in terms of big picture, that's the that's the positive. I think
1: With, with Ashley. It Makes it all the more baffling because we read reports about he doesn't want to pay off Steve Bruce's one and a half million pound contract or however much it may be. I think it's a lot more, I think it's a lot more than that. But yeah,
0: when's his contract up? Is the end of next season? Yeah, the next season. I think it was a three year deal he signed last year. He
2: signed signed what was termed an initial three year contract.
1: Ah, okay, but surely, like, if relegation does happen, I mean, I know. The chances of a takeover would be a lot more plausible because the EFL welcome any old fucker in, but surely he wouldn't get anywhere near the three hundred and five million pound that he would get from no. this consortium
2: no but it's I mean and we then again we get into the world of trying to sort of second guess Mike Ashley which i've which I've given up doing I gave up doing a long time ago I think I think around about the time. Joe Caner came back for a second second time at the club. I thought, okay, fuck this. I'm not gonna, you know, trying to trying to guess what Ashley might do on a win is is just redundant. I do. There are all sorts of sort of different uh, forces at play. You would think um, they have, you know, if we look at history, we know they leave it too long. We know that they left it way beyond the point. And this is now talking about managers, but they left it way beyond the point. Of no return with Alan Pardew in terms of relationship with supporters, albeit he brought it back round in terms of results. That relationship was dead. They left it way too long with John Carver. I mean, they left it. In, I mean, until the last day of the season, whilst they were waiting for frigging Steve McClaren for God's sake, and then they left it too long with Steve McClaren. And so, part of part of me you know, thinks that... So this is a slight digression, so I apologise. So in terms of Steve Bruce, I think they'll they'll wait and wait and wait. The thing that you you do think that's different, though, as you say, is that relegation this season isn't like relegation last time or indeed the time before. I mean, it's calamitous and going down and it involves a huge amount of money and you're taking an almighty gamble with the future. And I can can lightning strike twice sorry three times the stats tell you that they it, uh, it the stats tell you it shouldn't happen once let alone twice let alone three times so there's all that going on and going down this season would be worth uh, you know you're losing money at a time when clubs are hemorrhaging money left right and center because of covid and so you would think that focus focuses the mind the takeover is the other side of it that the the value of the club automatically goes down. I mean I was asked about this. I don't know, you know, but you would you'd think it's going to knock 100 million quid off the price of the club Easy. to start. To, to and do people want to buy championship football clubs? Does it have the same, you know, does it have the same uh eminence as a as a Premier League club or whatever? No, of course it doesn't. Uh but I don't know. Does he think he's cracked does he think he's cracked relegation or cracked promotion? Maybe he does. And would he sell in the championship? Anyway, you know, would he would he do that? I mean, so I'm not answering that question. I can't remember what the question was, but there was, um, you know, there were so many sorts of different thoughts. You'd think that they can't possibly jeopardise the club this season, but you just don't know with this
1: fella, do you? No, you don't. Um, and the thing is as well, when the takeover news initially broke, it couldn't have happened at a worse time during lockdown one because – no one had anything to do. We'd be you'd be checking the news every day, scrolling, refreshing Twitter every five seconds. You became Newcastle United's agony aunt. Did oh. you ever? Did you ever go to the Athletic saying, "There's money to be made here. We could start a <laughs> George <college." laughs> I just
2: need to bleed Newcastle fans of a bit more money. That's um, that's what I need to do. Yeah, because they were still having their season ticket uh, money taking off them. No, yeah. I I mean, it's difficult to know in retrospect. Um, I mean, I think. In terms of the stuff that we wrote, I stand by that, and I stand by the way we did it, which was um, we we didn't kind of provide incremental updates every day or every week, saying it's close to happening, it's not going to happen. It's you know this is what's happening. We did sort of big set pieces on sort of what we felt were important subjects, you know, covering everything from Saudi itself to um, you know some of the plans of what they wanted to do etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The thing that I got wrong though was although I said on Twitter I wouldn't be doing that either, I did I did reply to people. I say I got that wrong. I don't mean that, but I did kind of reply to people. And so when people were asking for reassurance, I tried to give it and but then what would happen is that those replies would get retweeted and picked up places. And so I was becoming the voice of a takeover which was not something that I ever wanted and not something that I ever set myself as a task and so you know looking back when people talk about no no red flags and things like that um I should have just I should have just kept those things to myself and sort of said you know there's no kind of point doing this or it's 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 the wrong thing to do and so I do I do regret that and I I think i had to then take a step back because twitter was um was was it was just it was just too much it was like too much of it i think and so i kind of changed my notification settings and things like that and um but the thing is i love you know the reason i do the job is because i love talking to people and i love that's what i want to do and i want and if i can give reassurance or if i can you know, do that, then my natural instinct is to do that. And my natural instinct is, is to have a conversation. And I don't want to be in a, I don't want to be in a situation where I feel like I can't say stuff, but it did become, and it, and it it is also part of the society we, we live in now that and we've seen it in sort of, we've seen it in America sort of extraordinarily recently with the presidential election. We are in this era where people only want to see the news that they want to see. And so, um, you know, Luke Luke Edwards, who's who's one of my closest friends, you know, we have diametrically opposed views on lots of things. He was being called names. I mean, he does wind people up, don't get me wrong, and he's a bit of a dick, don't get me wrong. I say that to his face, so that's fine. Um, but he was like he was sounding notes of caution and he was being called names because of that. And I was being hailed, hailed as the voice of the takeover because I was saying positive things. And that's not a healthy situation to sort of be in i'm just not sure i'm just not sure how you how you can sort of correct that or what you can do about that apart from sort of saying nothing and that's the last thing that i'd want to do
0: i think it's difficult though george because it's probably the inner fan coming out of you to say to other newcastle fans well look this is this is what i I know this is what my sources are telling me and if you're giving them updates very occasionally as you were then isn't that not your job as well? Like it's it's yeah. very good because you've got that line, haven't you? It's
2: it's it's. I think I think, but I think what I did do was I sort of effectively gave, ended up giving incremental updates, and which is precisely what I didn't want to do, in terms of, you know, the athletic and what we were writing. So, but I ended up doing that because I was, I was being asked lots of questions, and what I wanted to do was was you know was answer them, and I was giving, I was giving information sort of directly from. The people that I was speaking to, unfortunately, as, as in the thing that I wrote uh, uh, with Chris last week, confidence from the buyers, prospective buyers, has never been a problem. If confidence was the only thing that mattered, it would have been done on day one. It had been done three years ago. And although that confidence has taken knocks um, along the way, it's still there now. But, that, you know, as I say, that confidence doesn't bear doesn't sort of bear much scrutiny because it's been the most sort of wearing and um, sort of, you know, dismaying saga that we've kind of been through from those huge spikes of adrenaline and optimism at the start to this feeling now that we all have, which is sort of, well, I, many of us have, which was just, you know, we want it to be sort of resolved and obviously craving craving good things. But, you know, I, I have to show journalistic judgment, and I think I probably – and certainly on Twitter, I think I probably got that wrong on a few occasions.
0: Yeah, I, like I say I, 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 I kind of felt for you like I say Sam. I think he's the oh, yeah. like, agony, and to, I, I, I think it literally was that. And I do feel for you and, and Chris in particular. Hundred
1: percent should have branched out. You, you missed an actual <laughs> gold mine there.
2: Well, when, when, whenever I whenever I write something so stupid that they sack me, I'll I'll think of that. It's bound to happen eventually. I'll um I'll consider okay. that as a, I'll consider that. Maybe you could have me on for a little segment, weekly segment.
0: definitely, hundred percent. But moving on to a particular topic, which you have developed the relationship in with Rafa Benitez. Now, a lot of fans are obviously aware that you broke that he was leaving. Dalian I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, he Dali, was. Yeah. Yeah, he was the optimism of hope. In my personal opinion, I I always felt reassured when he was in charge because of Newcastle. Because that was the he, worst
1: thing about him, though, as well.
2: Yeah,
0: I brought so much hope. But I I just I always I always felt safe that he would guide us out of any issue. I obviously don't have that with Steve Bruce, just because I don't think it was the same caliber. But George Rafa Benitez, in my particular opinion, has unfinished business with Newcastle United. Does he see it like that? And could he potentially in the future? I'm not saying under this current ownership or maybe the next ownership or whoever, but do you think that there is a chance that Rafa could come back at all?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, he was he was um, he was absolutely fundamental to Amanda Staveley's first attempt to buy the club. I mean, she, he was named in all three of the bids she made. It was in the you know in the contracts in the in the contract offers that they would negotiate with Rafa. He was seen as. If you want to use the word project, he was seen as absolute absolutely um fundamental to it this last time I mean was that the case this time, not this time well yeah this time last year, no, because he was under contract, there was nobody lined up the way they they viewed the club was that um you know Steve Bruce was in position he was in terms of results he he was doing them a favor because he was buying them time so that the way it the way it looked, as it and as it turned out when the season eventually ended, you know, there was a breathing space. And in that time, they could have then thought about who they might have appointed or approached. He had a pretty watertight contract at Dalian, 12 million pound buyout or, you know, whatever it was. And so it kind of wasn't, it didn't feel like a realistic prospect, albeit um, they would have loved to have had it. They would have loved to have had him. You know, I think we're now in a window where he's suddenly available and um, there's no compensation and things like that. I'm sure I'm not, you know, I don't think it's rocket science. I'm sure that they would love to have him still. But I think the thing with Rafa is that he hates not working. And that's why he went to China pretty much, well, immediately after leaving Newcastle, because the way his mind worked, he couldn't see other clubs coming up in the Premier League, big jobs coming up in the Premier League. He was wrong about that, but he couldn't see it. There was nothing, um, nothing sort of uh, available in Europe, and he just wanted to get on with it. He was also being, um, you know, paid a ridiculous amount of money. But his 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 advisors, people close to him, advised him not to go, and. You know, he's come back twenty million quid richer. So I'm not sure who who was right or wrong about that. But um but I I think I think there would be a very limited window to get him now because I think I think he'll his every pore of his being is that he'll want to be back at work. Um back at work straight away. Beyond that, who knows? I mean he look yeah. I mean he he I saw him not long before Christmas. I've spoken to him since then on the phone. And um, you know, he has a very deep emotional attachment to the club he's not a man who throws a words like emotion around um easily because that's not the kind of man he is but um he felt something here he considers it a home and um the thing that you know the thing with unfinished business it all it, it's all comes down to timing and timing in football rarely sort of works out in the way you might might want it to but yeah he's got a genuine lasting relationship with fans and the club i think
1: I think it speaks volumes as well that this Champions League winning manager stuck with us in the Championship. I mean, from winning all them trophies to going to Burton, um, which is lo- Burton's lovely enough. I mean, it's about an hour from me. It's it's fine. Smells of beer most of the time, so it's, you know, <laughs> it's fine. great. That sounds but, good. Anything
2: that smells of beer at the moment. Mm,
1: exactly. Well, which reminds me, I. Spent way too much on cans during lockdown. One waiting for that take over actually <laughs> But uh, again, and now I digress. Um, I don't even know what I was going to ask. Now. No, no, but you, but
2: you, yeah, go on. No, go on.
1: The, the thing is, it's going to be hard for us to see him. Say, for instance, Wolves sack Nuno if they go on a, a, another losing run because they're kind of underachieving this season. To see him in a Wolves dugout when we play Wolves, it's it's going to be. um it, it it's not going to feel right, is it? Because of that unfinished business.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think that you make two. You know, the, the, those that point about hope is that the best thing about Rafa was he brought hope. The worst thing about Rafa was that he brought hope, and it's that it's, it's 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 both of those things together. I mean, it's still astonishing, really, that he came to Newcastle when he did, and yeah, that he stayed. I mean, and it's the it's the bit that people don't get when this tired. Um, you know, Bruce versus Rafa debate sort of happens. I mean, as if they're competing against each other. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I I understand why it happens, but Steve Bruce is not up against Rafa Benitez. He's up against the other clubs in the Premier League, and that's the imp- that's the important thing. And the idea is that a club should, you know one year in the premier league is going to be different to how the club should be four years back in the premier league it should it should be different and it should be better i mean it's not but it should be i mean that's the idea anyway you know that's the idea but the thing that people don't get is that you know he he came at a moment when he was bigger than the club i mean we've had lots of big name managers over the over the over the years but he didn't need he didn't need to come to newcastle but he wanted to come to newcastle and he spoke about us in those very old fashioned terms that we'd been we'd had beaten out of us so things like history and potential and ambition and size and stature things that we've been told from managers that you know Newcastle can't compete with Southampton or we can't compete with Bournemouth and all that and cups don't matter and all of those things that chip away have chipped away at the club's prestige he spoke the opposite and it was like well if he this fella that's won trophies everywhere and the Champions League and has just been at Real Madrid, he's coming to us looking at our potential and can see it. Then we can see it again. We can see it and we can feel it. And although you can't measure those things in terms of points or XG or goals or, you know, possession, we have that, you know, f- for as long as he was, he was there, that clung to us that there was a hope that if, if he sees a reason to stay, then we have a reason to believe And that's the thing you don't measure in those really sort of, you know, those horseshit sort of arguments that we get about Bruce versus Rafa and things like that. And then the other thing um, is that – I've forgotten the other thing. (laughs) I was really enjoying that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thing is, though, Bruce needs to tell himself that he's not competing with Rafa because what he said last week, directly comparing himself to the great Rafa, I thought, whoa! You are projecting some insecurities on yourself, there, my friend. It, yeah,
2: bizarre. again, I can sort of—I mean, I, I don't mean I can understand it because he's—he said—he said too much, and he's—he's he's really not helped. I mean, I think, you know, if—if if you put yourself in his position, he's come into the club under siege. He, you know, that's his choice, that's his decision. That's—you um, know—he knew what he was walking into, and all those sorts of things. But. I think so much has been made of it. It's almost, you know, there's almost that feeling internally that if I, you know, if we match what Rafa did, then we must be, you know, that's okay or or whatever. But oh, sorry. all right, <laughs> I dropped my microphone. Hang on, this is, it's, my, it's, This will this, make the blue. <laughs> <right. laughs> I'm, I'm getting so excited. Um, the, the thing, the the, the, the the thing that I was going to say, that oh, I've just forgotten it again. Um, what was I going to say? I, was, I can't was, remember. <laughs> I was <had> right on the top of my tongue and then I dropped my microphone and my computer up. Um, never mind, never mind, i will come back to me. Whenever sure you
0: remember it, just, just go straight I for just blurt it. blurt it out.
2: <laughs> oh, yes, no, I know what it was. Yes, on I'm on. sorry, I know what it was. The sadness about Rafa is that is that we saw a diminished version of him. And I don't mean that... I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't at the top of his powers because, I'm, you know, I'm sure he was. But we saw Rafa having to fight against relegation. We saw Rafa having to get Newcastle out of the championship. We saw Newcastle. Uh, we saw Rafa terrified in that first season back in the Premier League that they would go down. And pretty much... Well, and the same in the, in the second year, talking about needing a miracle to stay up. You know, what you wanted was Rafa taking on Man City as equals, not not in terms of, you know, keeping them at bay and trying to nick a one-nil win or get a draw, um, you know, and all all that sort of stuff. And so that's my sadness with Rafa, that we saw, you know, a truly great um manager, but at a time when he was, you know, he was forced to to well as someone is, as deathbook is saying there on the screen he wasn't given the tools to be successful so we had to see a different version of Rafa. um and that's my sadness you would love you would love someone like him to be at the club fighting for something good
0: just one I got thing. there in the end
2: I got there in the end with that point
0: <laughs> I knew you'd remember I knew you remember <laughs> um when you look at the the present 4 days away from the transfer window shutting george and Newcastle have been linked with the likes of Chowdhury, the Lems has been very, very recent, and was likes of DeAndre. Williams. Everyone in the
1: comments is asking about Jetter
0: Willems. Are they actually? We'll, oh, we'll, we'll, far... we'll, ask George, we'll ask George that in a second. But is, obviously, we've talked about Matt Ritchie and DeAndre could like potentially leaving. But it's the most interesting appointment out of so far in this transfer for Newcastle is the appointment of Graham Jones, George, because there was nothing really mentioned of him until maybe about a week, 10 days ago that kind of got. Uh, leaked that he want, he was basically getting told you're coming to Newcastle because there's a role for you. does that undermine Bruce or does that actually help him
2: uh, that's a very good question and I wish I could kind of give you a straight answer to that i mean um I mean I th- thought it was pretty st- astonishing seeing his video on newcastle uh, and UFC TV because it was like it was like the unveiling of a manager rather right? the unveiling of a of a assistant manager or a first team coach i mean i'm i might be wrong but i don't remember seeing 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 that kind of stuff before and um well i mean steve bruce is saying it's his decision and if it's his decision then i think we should applaud uh, well we're not going to applaud the manager uh, or you know fans aren't going to applaud the manager at the moment but i think we should you know we should be able to say okay this is an attempt to shake things up to bring in fresh ideas um and that's that's a good thing. That's a positive thing, and that's actually a sign of bravery. It's a, or it's a sign of um, uh, you know confidence that you're able to do that. Um, if that's the case, you know, if that's the case, um, it's definitely not a bad idea to 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 have that refresh on the training pitch. But um, you know what an assistant manager can do, or a, or a coach can do in the short term. I'm not sure. It's not the same as, you know, it's not going to be him deciding how the team set up or, you know, who gets picked. I'm sure he's another voice and that's good. But, um, but yes, it's a slightly sort of strange um, strange episode that doesn't kind of make much sense to me. Um, when I say it doesn't make much sense, I mean, it doesn't... I'm not sure what sort of the big idea is there. But... And I'll find it very strange for him to arrive if there haven't been sort of guarantees given um to him about what might happen in a month's time or two months' time or next season. So that's an interesting thing. I think the squad is in desperate need of freshness too. Um, I think it would be I mean they have to they have to get people out in order to you know to make to, to make space. I mean that's something that has to happen. Um, Bruce has had really this quest for you know dynamism in midfield. Um, and so that's something that he's wanted uh for a long time, you know, certainly including in the summer. Does Chowdhury fit that bill? Not entirely sure that's the kind of player he is, but um, but midfield is definitely a problem at the moment. So um, you know, getting legs in midfield would be good. I mean, in terms of villains, I don't I've I've not kind of been looking at this over the past kind of day or so. So um Chris is our sort of is our sort of day-to-day Newcastle man and I've been doing other things. I mean, I, I liked him last season. The one thing I would say is, how many frigging fullbacks do Newcastle need? And why is it still not I mean, why is it still not working? I mean, it's just, I mean, on both sides it's been pretty remarkable this season to see, you know, someone like Mankio, who was who had been frozen out coming in, doing really well, then disappearing. Yedlin, who was a certainty to leave in the summer, but didn't leave, but has been, you know, even as recently as a couple of weeks ago or two or three or four weeks ago, the club were actively talking to his agent about him leaving this month. He's come back into the team and then there's been this nonsense visa issue. And then, you know, on the other side, Jamal Lewis, a lot made of him in the summer. Liverpool supposedly chasing him. He comes into the team, goes out again, struggles. um, And, it just feels like it's become those fullback positions or wing-back positions have become such a problem. We don't seem to be anywhere nearer to, to solving them.
0: I think, Sam, our right-back options, we've been talking about a lot. Well, we argue
1: about right-backs every We weeks. do,
0: but do you not think that with all the left-backs that we've been linked with, like so Brandon Williams and Jetro O'Villette, surely that Newcastle's hierarchy should be looking at right-backs because our best right-back was playing on Tuesday, and that was Isaac Hayden, who's predominantly, some would argue, our best midfielder.
1: Yeah, well, then you're losing dynamism in midfield to kind of negate the the real shitness at right back, aren't you? But and then and then you've got you know Shelby and Hendrick in midfield who have. I mean, my eighty-one-year-old nan had a COVID jab the other day, so I'm, she's pretty sprightly at the minute. I'm sure <laughs> she can um, supply some pace in there more than them pair. But, although they did improve in the second half, as did everyone. But the thing is with Jetro and. With a kind of, I, I'm more than happy to see Jetro come back, absolutely. But he's not played since he went off injured against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. So is he going to be ready, fighting fit for a relegation battle if he comes in this month? I'm not so sure. It just seems an entirely, just a bit of a clusterfuck that we're just. And then Matt Ritchie. So there's, there's a
2: there's a phrase we've never ever ever used before. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a weekly occurrence, especially with our midfield. But now Matt Ritchie with Bournemouth, is there anything in that? George, is is Ritchie leaving? Because we we all know about his passion and his, he may have lost half a yard of pace, but he's been a magnificent servant. He's yeah. one of his best buys, absolute talisman in the championship in the first season back in the Premier League. But... It's a big voice in the dressing room to lose because the dressing room seems quite quiet to me without Lascelles and Ritchie.
2: I think that's very fair. I think it's a quiet team. I do think it's a quiet team at the moment, and I think also without Dubrovka as well. I think he's he has a presence uh, presence about him as well, and that's not to to knock um, Darlow, who's been who's been. Um, sensational really I think we have to say certainly in terms of how I I sort of expected things to go but yeah no I think that's I think that's a problem I think the club have you know not for the first time they've made mistakes in terms of moving players on you know recycling things within the squad they spent a lot of money on Richie but he was bought he was bought to get Newcastle up and did it and I think there have been moments when they could have moved him on uh, and certainly got their money back. Maybe made a bit of money, um, but at the time they are they were either asking too much money or Benitez was terrified of losing a player because he he wasn't certain that the club would replace uh, re, re, you know replace them with who he wanted or at the time he wanted. And that was you know that became a problem with lots of people. It was sort of no, we can't afford to, you know same with Dwight Gale. Dwight Gale is a classic example. The club missed the opportunity to make a profit on a player like. Gale, because A, they were asking too much money, and there were moments when they just simply couldn't not could not afford to lose them. And I think that's the you know, the same thing. Bournemouth's interest in in Richie is longstanding. That's not a surprise. But the club gave him a big new contract recently. Same with Shelby. Now I can understand what they're doing. They're trying to protect their asset. They're trying to but if what you end up with there is a player who's on, you know, certainly compared to championship enormous money it then becomes very difficult to get them out and so you know if 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 richie goes then you know if anybody goes they need to replace they, they need to be replaced in one way shape or form um you know richie I, you know i don't think he's as i don't think he's as dynamic as he was a couple of years ago I'll, that's not to have a go at him he would hate that he would hate that sort of description but yeah, the energy he brings to the team, the anger he brings to the team and to the pitch. Can you can you really afford to lose that in this moment? It would be a different it would be a difficult one.
0: It seems like Bruce wants to get rid of somebody to get new players in, and maybe Richie might be a sacrifice. I don't know. That's just my personal take on it.
2: Yeah, and and again, I think the club, this is a slightly more more general point, but when you look like you look at people like Saive, who are still somehow still Still there, and that this money is being paid out. You know, I think the club think they're very clever when they give players long term contracts, but that's not, it's, it's such a blunt instrument. I mean, it's such a blunt instrument when it works great. If you've got a player who is young and brilliant and everybody wants them, that a five year contract can really protect the club. If you give it, if you give those to everybody, though, it can become a millstone. And so, you know, at the first sign of a player doing something good, five year contract or we need to reward this player uh, for the last year, five-year contract. You know, there's no, there's not necessarily an incentive to improve and um, it can be a proper millstone for you when the time comes to move to moving players on. Newcastle have really suffered for that.
1: Just to confirm, they're not in talks with Henry Sivey about an extension, are they?
2: You never know. Protect that investment.
1: <laughs> Protect that investment. But the thing is as well... Like you say about the long contracts, it always seems to be to the wrong people. And like the youth academy guys, that the players we've lost from there just seem to get chucked away with no thought. Like Umbabu and Fraser Forster back in the day, and there oh, are I'm loads more. Armstrong, Ivan, Tony. The, the the list goes on and on. Um The long staffs are both out of contract in the summer of 2022. Do you know of anything going on there? Because apparently. Talks have stalled with Sean, and there was the whole saga last season with Matty. It just
2: well, it was good. It was obviously good that he's that Matty signed, and but then he kind of disappeared. He then disappeared off the face yeah. of the earth, and I remember Steve Bruce saying, "Well, he's kind of come from nowhere uh, to come in." It's like, well, he hasn't really come from nowhere. I mean, he's 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 in the squad. I mean, he's there. He's always been there. Uh, he did have problems with injury, um, but there seems to be sort of no. I mean, in, in those terms seems to be no kind of consistency so kind of long staff, matty Longstaff, comes into the team and then disappears sean comes back for a few games he's now been out of the squad and you know what does his future what does his future hold um um you know someone who was very highly thought of you know did brilliantly alongside hayden under benitez hasn't recaptured that in anything like the same with the same consistency and now yeah i mean it's a difficult that's a difficult position both for him and and the club i mean would he sign what's in it for him he's not playing is he getting better does he need a fresh move fresh start where does he go who would who would who would buy him all questions that aren't easy to answer
0: yeah, I think it's a very difficult one for the long staffs because they need to see progression. They need to see that they can you know, improve under a particular manager. They need to see that the club are actually moving in the right direction. And can you argue on both of those fronts that the, that the club are doing that?
1: Last season was just farcical, though. Bloody Bentaleb. Matty was sitting on the bench thinking, what the hell have I got to do? Bentaleb put in some of the worst performances I've ever seen in 25 years. And Matty's just there going, so am I signing this contract or what? Yeah. <laughs>
0: very difficult very very difficult to, to take but um george you obviously you're a patron of the saboy robson foundation and how much of an honor is it to be involved with such a well such a foundation but obviously the man himself Savoy robson
2: yeah oh it's a huge it's a huge honor i mean one of the kind of great frustrations uh, oh there he is um one of the kind of great disappointments and frustrations at the minute is that we're sort of you know not able to get out and and see people we're not you know I love running, and the Great North Run is my kind of favourite day of the day of the year. And obviously, weren't able to do that properly last year. And uh, you know, so many people run for the foundation, and getting together with everyone at the end of the run in the village afterwards, and having a sweaty hug, and a cup of tea, and a and a beer, and stuff like that is 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 a you know is a is a is a wonderful thing to do. The foundation's work goes on, obviously. It's kind of less visible, but um, you know, we're still it's been a difficult year for all charities this last this last year but we're still very very reliant on people's goodwill and generosity generosity um and yeah it's a huge huge honor to be part of to be part of that and um you know i miss him i, I kind of I, I miss him in sort of different and surprising ways um I've been writing a piece about Barcelona today, and that sort of made me think about his Barcelona stories. I don't know if you've seen the film More Than a Manager. Yeah. Um, oh
1: yes, oh, it it's like amazing. Pedro Park on the show.
2: Oh, of course. And you know what? A, what a beautiful, brilliant film that was. But just that, I look. You know, you, you look at Barcelona at the minute, and they're in absolute kind of chaos. It. You know, they've just announced. Um, they've just announced a debt of 1.1 billion pounds and we've seen what's happened with Messi and uh, they haven't got a president at the minute, but you know, one of the amazing things about that film was just sort of getting a kind of glimpse of the madness and, and uh, that surrounds the club and it's a beautiful madness. I'm sure Bobby would have put it, but um, yeah, good fella, good fella. And I think I also, you just pine, pine for football like that and, you know it's it's worth it's always worth remembering that when he came into the when he came into the club how badly newcastle was struggling and where they were in the table it wasn't an overnight job but you can um, you can have pleasure in a struggle if as i said at the start you know you can have pleasure in a struggle if everyone's buying into it and if everyone's pulling in the same direction and it can be difficult and it can be trying at times but if you buy into it, it's it can be a powerful it can be a powerful thing. And um, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, Steve Bruce was a good friend of Bobby's. And when Bobby um when Bobby left, he recommended Steve Bruce for the job. So um but we all I think we all need that sense that we're part of something and part of something good. And you know that's that's really what you know that's what he stood for. And that's what the club stood for for of the time when he was there. And that's the thing that I I really miss.
0: Yeah, Sam, we all miss him right now, don't we?
1: Oh, so Bobby's era was when I was, like, in my teenage years. So, like, peak football interest. And I absolutely hated the Rude Hullet era. I mean, and that, compared to now, would just seem golden in an FA Cup final. Granted, the run yeah. to the FA Cup final was an absolute piece of piss. But, um, yeah, I just loved everything about it, like the struggle from bottom of the league to to working your way up to third in a champions league run. it's just that was it it, it I, I think
2: the 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 sort of tough thing is the the further that sort of disappears in the rear view mirror the the harder it gets to persuade people that that's the club that Newcastle can be, and so you know we have that again, this is one of the thing about the debate now that. Well, Newcastle, you know, you're just a you're just a mid table team. You're just a bit shit. I mean, what are you what are you going on about? And it's that that is true. I mean, you know, under Mike Ashley, if you're not getting relegated, it's a, it's thirteenth place. I mean, that is the average league position. There was a moment this season where it felt like we were gonna be thirty we'd been thirteenth forever and we're gonna be thirteenth forever. Um I mean I pine for thirteenth place right now, but oh, um we'll um i pine for really shit football, but the odd good result as opposed to what we've got now. <laughs> but, you know, you do at the time, ta- you know, you, you at the time, absolutely 100% take it for granted and assume that Newcastle will be in Europe every season and challenging for things and playing good football and signing good players. Um, and the kind of the further that goes, you know, the further that disappears, the less it is part of the modern, you know, it's like it almost excuses what's happening now because I think for the first five years of Mike Ashley or 10 years of Mike Ashley, you could say, yeah, but for the 10 years before, you know, Newcastle were in Europe every season and we you know, we got to the cup final and we got to this. The further it goes away, the more this is normalised, you know, the more this is actually who we are. And my argument would always be that we're Bobby's club and that we're Keegan's club. But the sad thing is, and I can't even believe I'm saying it, but at the moment, we're, you know, Newcastle are Mike Ashley's club and this is who this is what this newcastle is benitez was the, was the exception and um that's tough to take because we should be, there's no you know there's no harm in being ambitious there's nothing wrong with wanting better there's nothing wrong with thinking you can you can you can be good that you should try that you should work hard that you know aspiring for something more is not a is not a is you know it's not a bad thing it's a good thing Expecting better from your football club is a good thing, and the further that time goes on, it's just like, what are they moaning about? They're just a shit club that never do anything. That's what they are.
1: Yeah, remember the days when we all thought that Graham soonest was doing such a shit job.
0: <laughs> I, just, I just hate that summary because I know it's true. Don't get me wrong, Georgia, it's true, but it's just so sad. It makes me feel awful. Just. I'm you, sorry,
2: I'm sorry. I know I, I, I didn't really sort of, I mean, you know, I do that comparison all the time. 13 years, you know, whatever it is now, 14 years of Mike Ashley, the 14 years previously. It's, you know, I feel so sorry for kids. I mean, people who are oh. 18, people who are 18 now have never known anything other than this.
0: It's yeah. so difficult. But I think, you look at the Alan Shearer article in The Athletic with your, with Yourself, George, about the soul of the football club.
2: yeah it's important to keep reminding people people you know i think we we know this i think it's important to remind people who aren't newcastle fans that there is a context and you know that context is very important and you know obviously alan feels that to his to his core and um he takes every single defeat personally and um you know, it's, yeah, it's it's a great reminder. We are the club of, we, you know, we should be the club of Alentura. There's a statue, not quite inside the club, but, um, you know, adjacent to the club. That's a disgrace, by the way. But, um, you know, there's a statue to a man who is not only, a, you know, the club's record goalscorer, but was also a world record signing. And he well. chose Newcastle, and albeit there was, you know, personal reasons for it, for it and very good reasons, the list of clubs he turned down, to come to you know to come to newcastle is astonishing blackburn blackburn offered him the job as That's player amazing. manager yeah. in order to try and get to stay he was house hunting in manchester he was um you know juventus and barcelona and all those clubs and he chose he chose newcastle you know we can we can we can we are still that club and we can still be that club but you know obviously obviously you know making that leap now is far more is far more difficult and possibly unrealistic. But again, you know, to to, to come back to where we started and all, you know, talking 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 about ninety-two, ninety-three, I I vividly remember those promotion celebrations um at the Civic Center, I think it was, and Keegan, you know, Keegan on the balcony saying, Tell Alex Ferguson we're coming after after him. I got I get shivers up my spine every time I think about that because that's what he did. I mean Tell Alex Ferguson. I mean, fancy doing that.
0: That's
1: brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah it just seems like a, a million miles away. There's so many moments like that with Keegan there. Like, like even the the selling Andy Cole for Keith Gillespie yeah. and uh, I mean with Shearer as well. I always look back at his testimonial. That night was just absolutely magical. Um, and then you think under Ashley, well, Shea Given should have had one of them. That's I
0: good. mean,
1: it's just not right. And that bar will always be called Shearer's, no one fucking nine bar. <laughs> it's just but, um, you can decorate it as much as you want, it's But it just, it just all comes back to kind of where we started, and that it's all down to one man, and it's also cold and hollow, and uh, I mean. The players that have been just kind of disposed of, even in that early, like Shay Given, he should have had another season. He should be the all-time appearance record holder for Newcastle. It wouldn't; he would have only needed one more season. And the way he was just kicked to the gutter, and the same with Shearer when he was um, got chucked oh, under yeah. the bus as, as manager, which I still still waiting.
2: Still waiting for his phone call. Still waiting for his phone
1: exactly. call. Thing is, if it wasn't for Howard Webb disallowing a perfectly good Mark Viduca header against Fulham, he would have kept the top. I'm over it now.
2: <laughs> oh, he is as well. Don't worry. He is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What's it like working with Shearer now? Obviously, because you kind of work closely with the athletic. Is it um, kind of. He's a, great, he's a great fella. He's a great
2: fella. And um, he's every bit the man you'd want him to be and so i'll tell a personal story i've told it in print so you you may you may or may not know it but i mean we've kept in touch i mean I, obviously i wrote about the club i wrote about the club mainly for the times um when he was a player but i was there you know there around it the whole time um i mean he's he's terrifying and he's very he's he, he can be terrifying in the sense that he's so direct and he's so, I mean, I've told the story loads of times, so forgive me, but it's like, I remember the first time I plucked up the courage to ring him and he didn't answer the phone by saying, hello, or hello, Alan Shearer, or he answered the phone by saying, who's that? <laughs> and so immediately it's like, you've been tackled by him waist high. Um, but he's, hes he's just a sort of straightforward person who, you know, tough, loyal, shows his emotion not through the things he says or uh through tears or i'm a very emotional kind of outwardly emotional person he's not like that but so um this is so from you know before before he joined the athletic where you know i've interviewed him i interviewed him a couple of times last year but you know we'll always text about the match or you know if there's something happening at newcastle we might have a chat on the phone and he's 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 developed into a really good pundit who if he's covering Newcastle or if he's right, you know, he wants to talk about the club. So he wants to do research, although they're his club, you know, it's not like he's when Rafa was manager, it's not like he was watching them sort of every week or whatever. And so he would ask for advice and things like that sometimes. And obviously you don't turn down, uh, you know, a God amongst men. Um, Anyway, so first lockdown my stepdad who was um the person who introduced me to to Newcastle and to and to football more generally took me to St James for the first time when I was a kid so sort of set me set me on the road to this life he got COVID and he got COVID um really badly he was in intensive care three times and um came out three times but there were moments when you know we were told that he would he wouldn't make it through the night and um in one of those moments, I just couldn't think of, I just, you know, couldn't, he was only in Ashington, but I couldn't get anywhere near him. And um, my two brothers, his his um, his sons are based in America. And so it was horrible. You know, we're so far away, so near in my case, and yet so far and so far and yet so far in their case. And, but Gordon, who's my stepdad, he's you know he's still a season ticket at Newcastle, season ticket holder at Newcastle. So I kind of, I realized it was a bit, craven maybe but i couldn't think of anything else to do anyway i i texted alan and asked if he would do a video and he just did it straight away and it was you know gordon you're a fighter keep fighting it was all that sort of stuff and i sent it and amazingly i got a response and it was you know tell alan thank you or whatever anyway from that moment on alan would just sort of ask me about gordon every couple of days and um which was lovely and i could i was able to pass that message on he got gordon got married in hospital because we thought he wasn't coming out and um his his long-term partner and he got married and that was you know she was allowed in but nobody else was and alan found out about that and he did another video straight away didn't even ask you know i didn't ask him to he just did it and he said that um when gordon comes out i'll, I'll come and see him and we'll just talk about football and um I didn't, I don't mean I didn't believe him, but I just didn't take it seriously. And uh, Gordon did come out amazingly and he's he's um, he's still doing okay. I mean, he's it's going to be a struggle for a very, very long time, but he came back out and that was, you know, that is a miracle. And um, I'll get upset talking about this, but um, Alan came up to see him and we had an hour together. And um, this is when we were still allowed into the, into the into the house and we wore PPE masks and um we talked about football in Newcastle for an hour and that's a measure of Alan Shearer as a as a human being. He's um he's a top quality human being and to um to work with him is an absolute thrill.
0: George, thank you very much for that story because I know that must have been very, very difficult to talk about, especially in the, the circumstances that the whole well, going to the whole country, the whole world face at the minute. And we can talk about the volley against Everton. We can talk about the side of the body against Aston Villa. We can talk about that goal against Sunderland last goal. But that that is just what I'm saying. That's, sure that That's who he is. That's that who he is. That is just absolutely oh, that is just perfection in terms of who he is to what, the, what what he means to Newcastle. That is just unbelievable. He doesn't doesn't have to do that, Sam. Obviously, yeah. it's, such, it's such a, a fantastic story. And, and obviously, we'd like to wish all our best to your, to your stepdad George because Thank you. Thank you. because obviously it must be a very difficult time at the minute. But Sam, what a, what a measure of the man.
1: Oh, I know. Um, I've never been fortunate enough to have, have met him or even seen him play um live in person because I, I I live in the Midlands, obviously, and none of my family were into football. My mum never drove, single parent family, and I, I never got chance to come up to Newcastle to to watch a game until. I learned to drive myself and got there under my own steam. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do help with the Nust Twitter account, and he does follow us on the Nust. And <laughs> I do sometimes, after one too many, think, oh, I could just DM him. But I, <laughs> other than other, <laughs> other going, I love you, I don't know what else. <laughs>
2: It's all right. I, I say that, I, honestly, I tell him that enough for, for all of us. I do, I do. And, yeah. you know, God, what a player, what a you know the most complete center forward i've ever seen and will ever see a man who i mean you know he had absolutely everything as a footballer um you know you tend to kind of remember the last thing you see in some ways and by the end of his career he was a very different player um to the start of his career but you know he he i mean he 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 had everything and um he was often our best defender, let alone our best attacker. He wouldn't just win games; he would save games. Um, you know, taking the ball into the corner, doing the stuff he had to do, shielding, shielding it with his backside, winning a free kick on the halfway line. There's no never been anybody better than than that than Alan Shearer, and um, just uh, just a, you know, just an astonishing, astonishing player, and he was ours. And yeah, I can. When we think about, when we think about, I'm sorry you never saw him live, but um, because he was definitely worth seeing. He was definitely worth was. seeing. Live, <laughs> but, um... you
1: know, I've, got, I've got the DVDs and everything on I, I still want to know. I mean, my three-year-old son, he's fully aware of Alan Shearer, don't get me wrong. But yeah, it is it is one of them things that I'll just never claim to have seen. But I mean, it all could have gone not completely the other way had Rude Hullett have stayed. I think that's why I, I, I don't very much.
2: No, no. And he admits that. And I've written about, that was one thing I've, you know, we've written about that this year or last year, I think Chris and I, we wrote about that FA Cup final, but really that wasn't the, and it was a terrible, you know, Newcastle didn't turn up, but we wrote about, the idea was to, um, to write about that final, but really that wasn't the, you know, that obviously that wasn't this, you know, the, the, the hinge of that year. It was the Sunderland game, but it was building up to the Sunderland game. And Alan says himself, if, um, if Newcastle had won that day, I mean amazing, they would have won a trophy but he'd have been gone. And um you know that does make you that does make you think. Um and yeah, there was um I'm so pleased. I mean, would I have taken a trophy and him leave, leaving? That's not really a question I want to um you know, I'll take a trophy over pretty much sort of anything at this moment, but um you know, I you, I feel grateful to to for what we have had. And, you know, we have had that, um, the, you know, this the astonishing era under Keegan. Football, we've never seen the like the likes of before. You know, I think it compares to Man City now and Liverpool now. And just in terms of absolute sheer quality, I'm not trying to compare eras, but, you know, in just brilliance, mesmerising football. And if if Newcastle had won the title that season, it would have set the tone for football for the next five years, at least. You know, because that's what happens. Winners, winners shape the course of history. But, my God, the memories, the memories from that era will last will last for forever. And what Shira did will last forever.
0: Hundred um, percent. Finally, George, you've been covering northeast football for over twenty years. Is there too, few... fucking, too fucking long? <laughs> <laughs> Get less you say <laughs> Yeah, you've been covering for we'll say a long time. Um, is there a moment at the minute? Because I asked Pete, I asked Pete Graves, has there been a moment that he looks back and he talks about Safi Robson, that is that his his moment so far in his career? What's the most memorable moment that you can remember covering? It can be covering Newcastle, but even covering Northeast football in general.
2: Um, I think I think if it would in terms of yeah writing about the club, it would have to be the Bobby era because I was that. Um, I was, you know, I became very close to him and he he became, you know, he was all sorts of things to me over the course of my life. I mean, in the sense that I followed him to Langley Park Infant School and 1990 in particular was so important to me. And um, both as, you know, someone English, but also someone from the Northeast. And I've never, ever felt as proud. I mean, I don't really... I don't really feel English most of the time but I've never felt more English than in 19 in the summer of 19 of 1919 I felt so proud because suddenly it was people who I could relate to and um and had watched on the terraces you know playing playing on the world stage and and things like that and um yeah I then had a working relationship and finally finally a kind of friendship with him towards the end of his life but um I think that was you know, it was. It was. I'd not been at the Times for for very long. I was still young, and we were going on these amazing trips. To I mean, not. It's not. I don't think one particular moment stands out just more that era really, where you know you're in the presence of something really, really good. My my regret is that I can't go back and do it again because, you know, I think the thing is you do take it for granted, and I did take it for granted. I mean, I was covering. Uh, I covered England for a while i mean so i should i suppose I should probably answer that by saying i've been to a World Cup final and reported on that um in two thousand and six I stayed there all the way through the tournament. I was two thousand and four the euros I did exactly the same thing i've been to japan i've been to brazil i've been to russia i've seen all the so all of those things i'm incredibly lucky and I love those individual moments and you know uh you know some astonishing memories if I put my mind to it and, th- and thought about it, and incredible privilege. But I think I think that era of of Bobby at Newcastle, I just wish I could go back and soak it up and sort of remember everything he said and remember everything that the team that the team did because it just it just goes on a blur. And the reason I brought up England in that context was because I gave up covering England and I, I made that decision myself because. At the time, Newcastle were in Europe and Middlesbrough in Europe, and I felt like I was on a sort of conveyor belt and needed, you know, needed to get off to give myself some respite. What a fucking idiot I am! (laughs) Um, So it's probably a good way to end. But you know, you sort of think because you think I can't, I can't carry on doing this. I'm I'm burning out, and of course the idea of Newcastle being in Europe, although it's happened once since then, which is great fun. But, um, you know, you sort of take it for granted and think it'll be there forever.
0: Uh, Well, I always think there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel with a lot of things. And I I do fully expect Newcastle to be in Europe, not this season, but one day. And I think we will all experience that because it's just what we are. I think it's just just what we are as a football club. I think we can always achieve if we put our minds to it as a fan base.
1: Yeah.
2: It needs. It needs. The club is in desperate need of TLC. It's in desperate need. Shearer said that in his column. It needs love. It needs love, and it needs. It needs love from the top. It needs an ownership that sees the fans as more than an inconvenience, and more than a, more than a transaction. And I'm not talking about individual people who are at the club now, um, because there's a load of great people at the club who try their best under very difficult circumstances. There's a load of good people there. You would hope that would that would remain there. Um, When new ownership comes along, it's always important to say that, Um, but it needs TLC from the top. It needs to be loved. It needs to be cherished. And, you know, we need to start thinking about it again as a community asset. That's what, that's what a good football club is. It's not just about bricks and mortar. It's not about players. It's not about all that kind of stuff. It's, it's people. It's, it's the people that come through the, go through the turnstiles, whatever they're called now. It's, the relationship between the people in the club and outside of the club and the club itself should be a beacon. And that should be, that should be, honestly, I think that should be the easiest, the easiest part of, of a club, you know, that, um, and you know, this is that the Bobby quote about what is a club, but it's always worth, it's always worth asking that question because when it comes down to it, a club is people, you know, that's what a club means It's people joining together and you know this is you know this is uh it feels like a sort of million miles away from where we are at the minute but when newcastle comes together you know the clue's in the name you know the clue is in the name newcastle united when the club comes together it's an astonishingly powerful and positive institution that represents something bigger than us that feeling when you're walking along the street and you're in a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people going to a match you feel like you can't be beaten you feel so powerful and at its best, it's the best thing in the world. And, um, you know, that latent power is still there. It just needs somebody with a bit of money and a bit of common sense to unlock it.
0: Well, maybe one day, George, if you've got that money from what Sam was talking about, um, you might be able to do it yourself. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam, before we get the the ending of this brilliant show, um, what
1: a show we've had. Yeah, all right. Don't big yourself up too much. <laughs> yeah, uh, lo- loved, loved every minute of it. I mean, hopefully next time we can have George on that, um, you know, we're not in the championship. Mike Ashley's not owner. The Nine bars called Shearers again. And, you know, I don't know, Les Ferdinand's director of football or something. I don't know. <laughs> that would
2: Sounds be good sad. to me. Sounds good to me. Let's dream yeah. that dream.
1: George,
0: it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Green and the Mullins show today. And again, if you haven't, George does some fantastic articles for The Athletic with Chris Wath, we had last week. If you haven't watched that one on YouTube, please give that a watch because Chris is just as passionate as George in regards to everything you cast United. But George, thank you so much for your time. It's been, it's been absolutely brilliant.
2: Oh, it's been a real pleasure to be on. Thank you very much for asking.
0: No problem at all. Sam? Uh, where can people find this podcast on Tuesday is it Tuesday this one's coming out is it the week or are we gone Tuesday
1: uh, no, uh, so Chris Woff came out Tuesday just gone and next week is Brian Kerr who was Newcastle midfielder in that Bobby era and then it will be um, George and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts you know you know, Google it.
0: <laughs> I should also mention Pod on the Time is a, a big podcast as well, which George is involved with, along with Chris Thank as you. well. So please give that a listen as well. But from myself, Sam Milner, and the Athletics, George Corkin, we'll see you all very, very soon.